Welcome to Pastors with Pour Overs, conversations about coffee and Christian faith. My name is Kyle and I am a pastor in British Columbia, Canada. My name is Cody and I am also a pastor in British Columbia, Canada. So before we get going on the coffee, I uh, wanted to bring something up because last week we were in a heat wave. Uh-huh. Today, that's the temperature. I'm going to look it up quick. We uh, Today, it's not that hot. It's 23. So we have a nice breeze coming through the windows. Mm-hmm. I was, am not dying of heat this week, which is nice. It is nice. Um, the city that I mentioned last week that was breaking the heat records. So I said something like 37.5. They actually hit 47.5 Celsius wow. last week. So they like broke the record for heat, like heat in Canada, three, like three days in a row. So 47.5 Celsius, that's 117.5 Fahrenheit, which is insane. Mm. Like that's all hot it was there. Um, unfortunately though, uh, it's a place called Lytton, BC. And they actually, after that happened, after the heat wave kind of, went away they actually had a huge wildfire Mm. which is uh, did you see the pictures of it i I didn't see pictures but i heard it's like mostly gone yeah like the whole like town main street is just like gone now it's it's so really rough week for them Mm. keep them in your prayers for sure but yeah i like i thought that was crazy when i first saw the the level it was like 37.5 which after i was thinking about was like uh maybe that's not that hot but it's actually like Went up to 47.5, which is crazy. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about the coffee here. Yeah. How about we do that? So this week, what we've got for us today, this is House of Funk Roasters in uh, Vancouver, BC. Most of our coffees will come from <laughs> Vancouver because we are from around there. So um well i should order some online and get some sent to us from mm-hmm. other places but this is house of funk again some of the coolest i think this is the coolest packaging i've seen mm. for coffee like it's like a tin is it airtight packaging. like does it keep I it think fresh so. like it has this twisty lid <laughs> so <laughs> i think so um it does keep it really fresh though but um it's just a really nice packaging and their whole branding and everything is super cool. I love it. Um, it's a Brazil, Brazilian coffee, uh, single origin. And it was a natural process, which means that when they were drying the coffee, because coffee beans come in a cherry, they mm. just leave it in the cherry for its like drying process. Interesting. So, yeah. The pretty cool. tasting note is chocolate covered caramel, which let me check that out. yeah yeah i get that huh i was like that feels like a stretch but i guess like on the coffee spectrum of flavors yeah this is like the chocolate covered caramel of coffees yeah i get yeah makes sense i made it with an aeropress this week again if you're watching the uh the youtube video here this is my personal aeropress and you i've shown you while you were here you saw me so um my wife customized it for me um if you are alive at all you would know that this is a a pipe from mario super mario Mm. so what she did is take the plunger out she made a piranha plant so that when i'm pouring my coffee 
you push it down and it disappears into the pipe it's truly astounding how cool <laughs> is that we need to, we should uh Super throw neat. a video of that up on our our brand new shiny instagram at pastors with pour overs on instagram plug anyways that's the i use the aeropress i think the aeropress is like one of the most like my favorite ways to make coffee really i still need to get one yeah they're cheap too like mm-hmm. 40 bucks and it's like good for well like i said i don't have one but it's good for when you're, you're traveling because you can just throw it in your backpack yeah. and I, I know a lot of people well you see it at camping stores and stuff because it's perfect for camping you can throw your back all you need is like a, a fire top kettle or something then you can make your coffee yeah exactly and there's so many ways to do it um i could I don't know. Maybe I'll post on our Instagram like the method I used today. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways you can use the thing. It's really good. And most I get so many consistently good cups of coffee out of that thing, which nice. is amazing. So that's the coffee for today. That's yeah. the that's the information you need today. That's what everyone came for. Exactly. Um, so we are continuing to talk about roles and functions of the church, continuing mm-hmm. in discussing the ordinary means of grace kyle can you give a really concise definition of what that is for <laughs> they're the means by which god has ordained for us to receive uh, and experience his grace in our lives sweet um copyright Preaching. kyle mcdonald no. yeah i'm sure someone else has said that and going off of our plagiarism last week and <laughs> i'm sure someone else has said that but yeah preaching praying is what we went through yeah um we have the the sacraments this week I feel like I'm missing one. Preaching, praying, I guess reading, preaching, praying, reading, baptism, Lord's Supper. And there, there's yeah. fairly ordinary things that we can do to increase in faith and to receive grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we talked about kind of preaching, preaching, praying, reading, probably more preaching than anything because yeah. it got controversial last week. And, and today we're talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper. Yes. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this. We we uh, we haven't shared notes this time, so no. I'm not sure exactly what all you want to say or what I want to say. But I, one metaphor that I think I want to kind of come out the, the gate with here is um, I like to think of baptism as like a wedding ring and the Lord's Supper is like the renewing of your wedding vows. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll explain what each of them are and talk about it more. But I think that's like kind of a good metaphor that we can come back to. Yeah. And that, that sounds like a good like standard for if you're thinking like, am I making baptism out to be more than it is or less than it is because well the reason i say it's like a wedding ring so it's a a sign of what's happened of what's been done of the covenant but it's not something that saves us baptism doesn't save us it's not what makes you married like in a ceremony the ring doesn't make you married the 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 vows do or really in canada signing signing a piece of paper is what makes you married but the the ring is the symbol of that. It's it's what makes it seem like official and what to, you, so you're you're the seal of the promise in a way. Um, yeah. I guess it's a little bit loaded theological language to call it a seal, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe we should start off. Let's start off simply. What would you say? What is baptism? Like, what, just give a 
Give the Cody definition. The Cody definition. Um, baptism is by means of. Hmm. How, much, how, how loaded do I make this sentence? Simple. <laughs> baptism is the public declaration of joining in covenant with Jesus. It is. Um, yeah, it's a way of saying I am dying to my old self to be born again in Christ. Yeah, I think um, baptism as like I, I we can we can't just go through like every single thing baptism is and or, or all the different questions going to baptism, but it's yeah, it's an outward display. I've always I've heard it said like an outward display of an inward decision mm. or an inward um, reality, I guess, like an inward faith. Um, it's displaying to people uh, that you've decided to follow Jesus and, and you are a disciple of his. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we would add even to that for us, we're, we're Baptists. So we believe in baptism by immersion. Yeah. Um, what el- what other way can you get baptized, oh, Cody? I was trying to keep that out of my definition to avoid controversy. Well, but yeah, no. we, we believe in... I love the controversy. Baptism by a full immersion is opposed to... Uh, pouring over which is acceptable for coffee yeah <laughs> and have you heard the like the legend of the how coffee kind of came to be i, th- uh, like I think the, it was like the clement Saint or clement something. or something like saw the beans they saw goats had been eating them around his monastery and these goats are just absolutely wired and he's like that seems good but we can't just go around eating questionable beans so he had to baptize them to make what? sure that they were clean and he poured poured water over the beans and supposedly that's the origin of coffee though i feel like really i heard it was a shepherd oh really interesting yeah. i heard it was a monk i mean shepherd monk i don't know maybe but he could be both. i feel like that whole story though like if you use whole beans and don't grind them and pour water over them i can't imagine it's gonna I don't think you yield would. anything but like some beanie water yeah it'd be weird Anyway, pour pouring over. Some people will baptize by just like a, you'll see with like a pitcher where you kind of like lean your head over something or whatever. The and then there's a, of course sprinkling, which is often employed in um, in pedo baptism and baptizing of babies um, mm-hmm. because we don't love the idea of forcing babies underwater. So just like a nice little, nice yeah. little sprinkle. That'd be pretty. Yeah. Let's think of uh, is it Nacho Libre? You've been baptized. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, baptism, I think a lot of people, though, have had an experience with baptism, even if it's through Nacho Libre, or um, they've uh, even, I think a lot of people who like grew up Catholic speak of their like baptism, mm-hmm. um, and especially if you grew up in like an evangelical church, that has obviously been a part of your life as well. Um, we would, we hold to baptism by immersion. Um, and believers' baptism specifically, mm. where you mentioned pedo baptism, the mode is usually like sprinkling or something, yeah. but it's also baptizing like a baby, um, not one who has like professed faith. So mm. um, we can go in so many directions here. Um, but Just let me know which tangent you want yeah, me to go. Let's off go. On. Uh, let me let me decide here. Why don't, why don't we go? Okay. Are, we, are we moving on from immersion? Yeah, I think okay. as far as mode goes, like the word baptism means immersion. And for the, the purposes of this podcast, that's like as far as I think we really need to go. 
I've heard one, um, I was reading a blog post from uh, a Presbyterian pastor, and he said um, that Baptists seem obsessed with the mode where Presbyterians mm-hmm. don't actually, uh, are not as concerned about the mode as as we are as Baptists, where we would say like, you have to be baptized by immersion for it to be like a true baptism, um, where Presbyterians would, you know, it could yeah. be immersion or sprinkling or it's more about the sign in the covenant. So why don't we talk about with that? And there you go. If you want more on that, let us we, know. We, we love our, our Presby friends. Yeah. yeah we exactly. like RC Sproul is like our hero yeah. in a way. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the thing with this is like, we can disagree. We believe we can disagree on this specific topic. So why don't we um, go with, why would we, why do we believe personally that, um, someone must be baptized as a believer as opposed to being baptized as an infant. Um, baptized as a believer. Let me just scroll through my notes. Cause I know I have like a few scriptures, but the general idea is that, um, well, what we kind of said it, baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. Mm-hmm. And with an infant, like, are you capable of, understanding or capable of going through an inward change can that be attested to by anyone but i think even the language like uh acts 238 says repent and be baptized Mm -hmm. um, it's often paired in this way like believe and be baptized and uh all right here's the one mark 16 16 says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Right. So if you believe and are baptized, so I, I mean, maybe it's semantics. I feel like the believing there's a precursor to being baptized, but the, the, the contradiction there, the other side of it is if you don't believe you're condemned, he doesn't mention if you don't believe and are not baptized. Right. It seems like baptism really isn't, like baptism without belief is pointless. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't save you. What, what would it accomplish? Right. So we, we, we kind of see that, you know, it's not that it's harmful or wrong. It's just kind of, it's just like a gesture that doesn't accomplish really anything in itself without being paired with belief. Right. And I think uh, you kind of mentioned it, but the whole idea of like when we look at scripture and the passages that mention baptism specifically in the book of Acts and uh, even I pulled up Matthew 28 here, right? Go into all, uh, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. It always kind of goes in that, mm-hmm. that train of thought, right? Like repent or make disciples and baptize them, right? It's a thing that happens after salvation so um i guess the question would then be why would some people say that we should be baptizing infants who have not made a profession of faith Ooh, that's a that's a tough question because you're asking me to speak for someone so i don't want to accidentally straw man our brothers but Mm -hmm. um to my understanding the idea is that baptism is a sign of our entering a covenant with Jesus entering right. the covenant 
And the, the argument that I've heard is why would you want to exclude children from that covenant? And then the other argument I've heard is, well, if baptism is the new circumcision mm-hmm. and like children were circumcised, so why wouldn't, oh, excuse me, why wouldn't children be baptized? Right. Circumcision being the sign of mm-hmm. the old of, covenant of the old covenant, and identifying you with the people of God and then baptism doing much of the same. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, again, like if one of us were Presbyterian, we would... <laughs> be able to kind of you know give a first person argument for it i Mm -hmm. guess and one that we truly believe in but um i i think it comes out of passages like luke 22 which we're gonna get to the lord's supper a little bit but uh speaking of the lord's supper jesus says this is the this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood so jesus when he died and has saved us he brings us into that new covenant with him and so um, uh, denominations like Presbyterians would say, we're now in a new covenant with Christ. The old covenant was with Israel and the sign of that covenant was circumcision. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, being in a new covenant, being the people of God, the church, the new sign is um, uh, baptism. Mm-hmm. And so in the old covenant, if you were born of Jewish parents, uh, you would then be circumcised and you would kind of be like born into that covenant relationship. And so they're taking that same kind of thought and logic with this um, and saying anyone who is your child, if you are a believer is also joined into that. And it's um, again, as I was reading about it from a, a Presbyterian pastor, he mentioned that it's also like a, uh, a, a sign or a, a display in which we have faith that they will grow up mm. and never not know Christ is how, how he kind of worded it. So there it's like a, a promise that you're seeing is that we're baptizing our, our child, uh, identifying them with the new covenant in Christ. And so we are trusting and believing that God will continue to walk with them all their life and they will uh, live in faith in Christ in their life. Even as Baptists, we, we sort of practice that part in the form of baby dedications. Right. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because that's not like Baptists like to take things and tweak it a little bit. Yeah. It's not like an especially <laughs> biblical thing. Um, the baby dedication, but yeah, with Baptists, I mean, that's like the, like we, well, I'll say speak for myself, I guess I really like the 1689 Baptist confession of faith. Yeah. And I'll admit that it is heavily influenced by the the you know the Westminster yeah like confession. basically bap- made it yeah, Baptist like the yeah. ba- well and it's funny because if you look at the timeline like the London Baptist Confession came out and then the Westminster came out and it's like the Baptist went oh that one's better yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we need to take that and make it Baptist yeah um, yeah and so um, with that then I had one more question I think then we we should go into the Lord's Supper because they actually work mm-hmm. in some sense together like when we're talking about the means of grace. Um, baptism is a display of God's grace in our life that he's redeemed us. And now we're, um, we are now, uh, doing this display to show his grace in our lives and people who are now seeing it also see the grace of God in your life as well. So it's a means of grace in that. Mm -hmm. Um, when should I be baptized then? Someone accepts Christ as their Lord and savior. Uh, when should they get baptized? Should they immediately should they wait a few years go through some 
fun baptism classes at church. When should I be baptized? Um, I think the scriptural precedent set is that you're baptized immediately. There is, um, oh, let me think. I know it's in Acts. What is it? I know there's a phrase where, oh, Acts 22. What was the context who's speaking? Anyways, he says, uh, what, basically the, the climax, he says, why wait? Rise, be baptized. And it's this, like we see constantly, um, like, wow, I'm looking so, so uneducated right now as if, uh, which, well, which disciples stopped the chariot? Um, Philip. Philip. Okay. Yeah. Phil, Phil stops the, he's like, as soon as the guy is like, yeah, yeah I believe right. he's like, sweet urge baptism time. Yeah. And, uh, well, and it's, if we think about what it is, I'm going to be talking circles for a second here, but baptism represents our dying and rising, hmm. which is what saves us. Right. Baptism here, I'll, I'll read two scriptures here, just so I'm not rambling as much so you can hear something of value come from my mouth here. <laughs> um, Romans chapter six, starting verse three says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Hmm. And uh, kind of a parallel is Colossians 2, uh, 12 to 13 here says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Um, the regeneration, what saved, like our being redeemed, our being saved, is this idea of our, our old selves being put off, our dying to our old selves. We're no longer the people who are born to, to kind of, get deep for a second we're longer people born under the headship of adam but were reborn under the headship of christ mm -hmm. and that's what happens when you're when you're saved when you confess and believe that jesus is lord you're putting off your old self you're dying to your old self and you're being reborn and baptism is the declaration of that so why wouldn't you just do it immediately right and so but the counter argument to that is um, what if someone is making a false profession of faith and we baptize them in haste or whatever? Mm. And then, you know, I don't know, a year later, they say they don't believe it anymore. Then that sucks. <laughs> like, like, I, well, that's kind of the art, right? That's kind of the argument against it. Well, it's right? a, what it's if like, you baptize an infant and they don't grow up to be a believer? Right. <laughs> it's the exact, it's the same. Yeah. I, um, I think that's what we get caught up in a lot is we're almost um, scared to baptize people. Mm. And I think it, honestly, I think it often is because of our, how do I want to say this? Like our lack of confidence in maybe our own evangelism, but mm. maybe even in the saving power of Christ. Um, and that's kind of a big thing to say, but 
uh, I think often what what's happened, especially in recent years, is we see this kind of like invitational model where it's like mm. we preach a message and say, come up and if you want to receive Christ, receive Christ. And you ask them to pray a prayer. And it's almost like we kind of check off the box. We get them to pray the prayer. And it's like, okay, you're a Christian now. And they're like, cool. I've heard, can I get baptized? And you're like, well, let's wait and see mm. <laughs> that you've actually had a heart change. But really that should happen when we're calling them to, you know, pray that prayer or make that declaration of faith. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's where a lot of this comes from is like, you know, there's so many people with so many different perspectives on Christianity. And then we are calling them to uh, have this faith in Christ, but we want them to, you know, wait a little longer, prove themselves more. But the model we see in scripture, uh, especially in the, the book of Acts constantly is they repented and they were baptized. They repented mm -hmm. and they were baptized. Yeah. So I'll say sort of two points on that before we move on. One, I think it, as believers, I've heard a lot of believers who are like, yeah, I absolutely believe I confess Jesus as Lord. I repent. They're like, I don't know if I'm ready to be baptized yet mm -hmm. because they, uh, they're like, they see it as like a spiritual milestone. Like they have to, to faith their way up to being baptized. And that's where we come back to the, where I said, if it goes beyond like too far or too low, like it's just the wedding ring. If you're married, do you say, I just want to make sure that our marriage is good right. before I put on a wedding ring? Yeah. It's like, no, you're, you're married. Do it. You can do it. Yeah. And I think. Uh, and you're also believing that he'll, God will continue to keep them. Yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing. Well, and I'll, I'll say one thing and uh, maybe maybe you'll push back on this, actually, because I didn't run this by you. But I even I said, I feel like referring to it as a seal is a little bit loaded. And I think one of our hesitations with baptizing people and having them turn out to be not a real believers. Cause we feel like we're putting like our stamp of approval on them. We're like, this person is saved. And well, for one, it's really their declaration. They're the mm -hmm. ones saying I'm saved. So if they're not, it's on them, right. not on us for baptizing, but also the uh, baptism isn't the seal of our salvation in Ephesians chapter one. Starting in, I'll start in verse 13 here at the beginning says in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy spirit, yeah. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, that the proof that you're saved isn't that you were baptized. The proof that you're saved is the presence of the Holy spirit. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you're totally right on that, where we often think of that as the seal, like, oh, I was baptized, I know, I'm, but it's the, the Holy Spirit's indwelling in us. And so I think with that, um, to kind of close off the baptism talk, we could, like, again, we could go on so long about this. We are, already have had so many different topics, but um, baptism classes aren't a bad thing, and I don't think waiting is necessarily a bad thing, but I would... 100% encourage someone uh, once they make that declaration of faith. Like if I was leading someone to Christ and they, you know, made the mm. profession of faith, I'd be like, okay, let's, let's get, let's go baptize you. Right. Let's, let's yeah. have a baptism. Um, and so I understand churches that want to wait and make them people go through classes so they can understand it more. I honestly just think that that should happen 
you know, prior to yeah. <laughs> all that, you know. So Lord's Supper is our second one um, our, in our means of grace. So I think of the reason we put these two together is because baptism is like that, once again, the display of faith. And I mm-hmm. think it's also um, a display of the church affirming you in your salvation as well, because it's the church that baptizes you. Mm. Um, the Lord's Supper is that in the same way. It's another um, declaration of the death and resurrection of Christ uh, that we do. Well, we'll get into this. Should we yeah. do it weekly, monthly or whatever? But we do it regularly. It's an, another sign of the covenant. Right. It's another sign of the covenant. And it's also another sign in which the church is affirming someone Mm. because often when we talk about church discipline which maybe we'll get to at some point uh, in another episode one of the key markers of someone being under discipline is they're they're not allowed to take out the lord's supper Mm. in that so um it's another sign of the covenant covenant with the uh bread and the wine uh being signs of the body and blood of Jesus, which Mm. was shed for us, which we take as a body of believers in remembrance of Christ. Yeah. It's that, that continual, whereas baptism is a one-time event. Mm -hmm. It's the continual declaration, the continual sign. And it's interesting because just before we, we move on from it, unless you're planning to talk about it more anyways, just the idea of, you know, if you're under church discipline, you're not taking the Lord's supper. I don't think prior, I guess, prior to maybe our church right now, I've ever been part of a church that, uh, I guess, policed isn't the right word, but that even like tried right. to see that yeah. people taking the Lord's Supper, Supper were believers. You always just like pass the pan and they're like, there you go. And yeah. I've maybe heard a couple of times someone say, you know, if you're not a believer, please just let the elements pass by. But right. like, that's hardly <laughs> trying it. And it's interesting because even just... um like Dennis, one of our elders today asked me, he's like, what do you think about that? That idea of like, if, or he was saying that some churches, if you're not a member of that specific church, you don't take the Lord's supper in that church. And, um, I don't know. I mean, that's up to the church, I guess, but I think if you're, it's more being a member of church, the church, church, but that's such a, an interesting thing that, like a lot of churches don't even think about. They kind of just, one, I think it's because a lot of churches have lost their grasp on what the Lord's Supper even is or what its significance is. It's just yeah. sort of a thing we do usually yeah. once a month. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, and um, that's kind of the, I, I want to get into this, but first I want to read uh, from the 1689 uh, um, a definition of it and what, how they explain it. They mm-hmm. say that um, in chapter thirty. Uh, paragraph one, it says that the uh, Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus, and then it's for our spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe to him, uh, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other. So when we come to the table, it's for our spiritual nourishment. That's the kind of means of grace where Mm -hmm. we are once again, reminded of the grace of God in in the gospel as it's a display and declaration of that. Um, But also uh, it's a reminder of our growth in him and to the duties we owe to him, but also a bond and pledge of our communion with him right now. So it's a sign that it's the Lord's Supper. Mm. Like he is 
the one who instituted it and gave it to us. And so when we come to Lord's Supper, um, it, we have to have that in mind there. It's not the church's supper, mm. right? It's specifically called the Lord's Supper because Jesus has instituted it for us. Um, and it's also a sign of communion with each other as well as being a part of, of the church. So then comes the question. I can't remember if you wanted to ask me this or, or what. So you can throw it right back to me if you want. But should we do it weekly, monthly, biannually, every 10 years? Well, I'm not going to say that to last quote the uh, great theologian, Paul, the apostle, the one that wrote most of the New Testament, do it whenever you gather. So um, we could take that to mean weekly. But I, I honestly, if, if reading Acts, it seems like it's probably even more than that. And I personally advocate for doing it in like, if you have a community group or small group, it seems to be a thing that whenever you're having dinner with believers that you're like, you know what we're eating. And for them at the time, it was a staple food. So they'd always have it today. We have to kind of make more of a point of having bread and, and juice or wine, which we'll get to, but being like, you know, we're eating together. We're doing this thing that, really we're, we're, we're united in our shared need for sustenance. You know what other need unites us? Our need for redemption, our need for Jesus. So let's take this moment. I think you could be doing Lord's Supper like every day, almost even more than once a day. Like just, it's, yeah, it says whenever you gather, it should just be done regularly. I think mm-hmm. uh, once a month is too little but i also don't think that it needs to be like a, like a big ordeal like a like a all right we're gonna play the baptism song and pass yeah, the yeah. plates like you, you yeah. just do it and it is part of the church it is a church function but mm-hmm. i think it can be done in the church like it, to an extent in dispersion as well well i think yeah what you see is uh acts 242 it's shown as a core like aspect of our worship, mm. right? Like they uh, devote themselves to the apostles teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, right? It's like put in there as a core aspect of the church's worship um, every week. And so, um, yeah, I think um, when it comes to specifically the gathering of the church on Sundays, I would definitely lean to it should be every week. And, you know, we talk about like being a big ordeal. One of the reasons is a big ordeal in our churches today is because they're so big. Yeah. Like, like you have to, some churches, right? Like they're 500 people. You have to prepare 500 pieces of bread, 500 cups. Mm. You have to pass them out, which can take like, you know, a span of 10 minutes or whatever. And we're often concerned about, oh, our service needs to be an hour long. Mm. If we do 10 minutes for this, we'll have to cut out a song or whatever. Well, when we say 500 people, as Canadians. Yeah, I know. That's you know, like, like maybe a small, that's our, yeah. Yeah, small, we don't have as many mega States, churches but... here. Right. But yeah, ex- no, exactly. Like mega churches, right. Thousands of people. Like it's, it is, it ends up becoming a bigger deal, but in this time, like they're meeting in homes um, and they're a group of people gathered in a homes. So they pass around the mm. bread and they pass around the cup of wine and they remember the, the Lord's birth or death, the Lord's death. Um, <laughs> First Corinthians eleven twenty six says this for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Mm. So in that you have for as often as you eat this, I think that's a, um, a, a 
statement there saying that it should be often like mm-hmm. it's a regular thing that you guys are doing um it's not just like maybe a once a month thing that we do at well, some point like i said that was their staple food right bread yeah and yeah. wine yeah. so like they, they always had it it'd yeah. be like if we're like as often as you drink coffee remember the lord we'd be worshiping him like yeah. constantly yeah. right and when, so oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say i think you like a key phrase you said in there too was that it's a part of our regular worship and um just like looking at the the 1689 and how it's worded about being unifying with us like unifying us and unifying us with christ is i think that tonally when i read that and i think about that i don't think about the way that we often practice it tonally because when i think about unity with brothers in christ unity with the body of christ I think about like, you know, arms around each other, like we're, we're united. Whereas mm-hmm. we usually were like, remember the sadness, the arms of yeah. the It's like this somber and we're just like thinking about Jesus dying. But the, and we are thinking about Jesus dying, but we're thinking about the victory of his death. We're thinking mm-hmm. about his sacrifice and the meaningfulness of it, which is somber, but also joyful. It's, it's actually a victory not a tragedy and and i feel like we often act like it's a tragedy when we take the lord's supper right yeah and i think i mean that goes right into one thing that i wanted to bring up was that it's also a picture of like there's i'll use a big word here eschatological hope wow um hope in the future right Mm -hmm. at the end where um in luke's account um, I found this really interesting when I, when I was like thinking about this this episode that we are recording. But Jesus says, "I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer." Luke twenty two verse fifteen. Um, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, which means like future kingdom when all is you know set up. That's at the beginning before he takes the bread and the wine with his disciples. Um, and then after that as well, uh, I'm losing it here, but he says, uh, right here, verse 18, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And they took the bread. Hmm. This is my body, which is given for you to do this in remembrance of me. Uh, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so it's almost like bookended with this hope of the future as well. So mm-hmm. it's like first Corinthians 11 says, right? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? Even in that, until he comes, you have this proclamation of the future where he's coming back, where we'll mm-hmm. have that, you know, marriage supper of the lamb that we see in, in revelation. And we will eat with Christ, like literally in his presence and everything. And so it's this, this hope that Jesus when he's even instituting it here is he's showing us of this, this kingdom Um, again in verse 30, just to keep nailing this in Luke 22, 30, and you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Hmm. It's like, it's all throughout it. So it's pushing us to this proclamation of this is a remembrance of the death of Christ that we are to be taking regularly, but also of a reminder of our future with him in his kingdom yeah that's so cool and i 
you know, with like COVID starting in 2020, there's a lot of end times talk and we did, we did some teaching on end times yeah. and maybe we'll talk about it on the podcast someday, but it is interesting how like at this point after, you know, like nearly 2000 years, we, we all don't really think about his coming that much. Or if we do, it you seem nuts or you right. get nutty about it. Like there's people who are, who are just like, that's the only thing they think or talk about it. But it's like you, you almost have to exist in an extreme. You either don't think about it at all or that's the only thing you ever think or talk about and you never shut up. Yeah. And it, it's, it's cool to view this as something to remind us of that promise as like a very like grounded, real biblical way of keeping our minds set on the promise of his return and all that that entails without like being bonkers. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's where like to kind of close this off here, that's with baptism. It's a, it's kind of like this one time event for you, but you get to see it with other people as well mm-hmm. when they're doing it. But when it comes to Lord's Supper, it's something that regularly you get to partake in. It's a reminder of um, your hope in Christ, your communion with him, and then a proclamation of his death but also uh, his kingdom to come. So mm. I, uh, the Lord's Supper is amazing. When uh, Again, when COVID hit, um, that was one of the biggest things that I realized when you know churches kind of mm. closed down because we were unsure of what was happening um, is we couldn't take the Lord's Supper together. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the, the greatest joys when we finally we were able to get back together. That was first Sunday that we kind of gathered again as a church. That's what we did. Yeah. Took the Lord's Supper. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You just reminded me like is a guy that, you know, well, like I'm single, but I have roommates, but you know, we all kind of, we go to different churches. So even when we're going to different churches online, I'm sitting in my room and even like the virtual, they're like, and take this bread. And it's kind of like, I'm alone. Yeah. This isn't um, who am I communing communing with right now. Yeah. May need to do a bonus thing about the virtual thing, but I oh, think yeah. that's over for now. Yeah, we're gonna do. I think we said like a, a kind of what we learned from COVID mm-hmm. bonus episode. Yeah, at some point. But yeah, do you have any closing thoughts? No, um, I'm all good. Please don't dip the bread in the wine. That's <laughs> I don't know. It's gross and it's not what Jesus did. So uh, there you go. (laughs) Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or snide remarks, you can send them to pouroverpastors at gmail.com. We have Instagram now, uh, at pastors with pourovers. We we don't have much on it yet, but we plan to do more. And if you're you want to follow something where you're going to know about the podcast and see our content, but you don't want to see like our personal lives. That's a good thing to follow because, um, who wants to see our personal, we're both huge nerds. So if you're just in it for the, the coffee and the theology, but not the Zelda and whatever else, then yeah. Follow, uh, (laughs) pastors with pour overs on Instagram. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to comment, send us messages. Let me know what coffee we should get. Yeah, tell us to drink coffee. Like, like what beans to get and stuff. I want to explore mm. into the great unknown of coffee. Bye, everyone. <laughs>